we here are in uh, talking about the fruit of the Spirit. This is we had our intro week last week, and today we have the first fruit of the Spirit. Uh, the fruits of the Spirit are found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. And I hope that by the end of the series, you have this memorized. Okay, this isn't actually our text for today. Our text for today is going to come later in the message a, a few minutes in. So, but I do want to read right here uh, at the beginning just to remind us. If you have your text in front of you, I hope that um, you may already have this memorized. But we will read it. And let's read it together. I'm going to be reading out of the NIV um, and it's not going to be on the screen, I don't believe. I don't, we don't, do we have that one on the screen or not? Galatians 5? Oh, okay. Excellent. Good. So uh, you can read with me. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. All right, great. We will pray in, in just a minute. You know, when you look at uh, the pages of Scripture, the New Testament in particular, everywhere from Peter to Paul, the, the authors all have different angles and perspectives on stuff. But there's this voice of solidarity in the New Testament, whether it's Peter or Paul, whether it's James or John, and especially the voice of Jesus, tells us one thing. One character trait that identifies the people of God. That there is one single thing that sets apart the people of God. And, and, and it runs all the way through the New Testament. And it kind of screams it out. Any page, almost any page that you turn to, you can find this theme in the New Testament. That the people of God in the New Testament, one thing identifies them. One character trait. What is that character trait? Love. I don't even have to say it. You know it. It's love. This is it. Love. And, uh, of course, Galatians 5, the, the text of Galatians 5 picks right up and broadcasts this. Galatians 5, it tells us that the entire law can be summed up in this one statement, love your brother as yourself. And then also in Galatians 5, we're told this. We're told that circumcision and uncircumcision makes no difference anymore. In other words, abiding by the law, it means nothing. Only one thing counts. This is in uh, chapter 5, verse 6. Only one thing counts, faith expressing itself in love. Faith expressing itself in love. It's the only thing that actually counts, we're told. And then we get to the fruit of the Spirit, and obviously the first fruit of the Spirit is love. What's interesting about this is that the, the fruit of the Spirit, isn't fruit kind of an interesting word? If you try to, de- if you try to define fruit as singular or plural, I'm going to have some fruit. Well, that could mean a piece of fruit or it could mean a whole bunch of fruit. But there's also a plural word, fruits, right? So fruit's one of those weird words when it comes to singular or plural. This is very clearly a singular word in the original. The fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. And then it gives us a list. So why is it a singular word to describe a list? Well, some think because that, that it's kind of a progression and that the real fruit is love. And all the other ones, it's, it's like an orange, okay? And, and the, the fruit is love and, and, and the, the orange is the fruit. And then you peel it back and inside of there you find joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness that, that inside of love, all of these other things exist. Uh, you know, there's, uh, most scholars see that there's three parts to this fruits of the spirit thing, that the first three, love, joy, and peace have to do with my relationship with God. 
And then when I get beyond that, the next three have to do with my relationship with my brother and sister. And then beyond that, the last three have to do with kind of my inner self, you know. Uh, And so uh, whether or not that's true, what is clearly true is that in all the cases where we see the scriptures talking about what identifies a true believer, it always starts with love. And so today, our text is about love. That's what it's about today. Uh, our, we, we focus on one word. So all we get out of Galatians 5, 22 to 23, all I get to preach on is one word, you know? So what do you do when it's one word? Well, you know, asking someone, a, a pastor, to preach a topical message on love from the New Testament or from the Scriptures is like kind of like saying, hey, preach a message on God. You know, like it's that big of a topic and it's, it's gigantic. And how do you preach a, a short topical message on love? Well, it's funny. If you talk to, uh, if you did a topical message on God, chances are you would ultimately end up focusing on love, right? I mean, that's the, the primary character trait of God. So, and likewise, if we preach a topical message on love, we will focus on God because God is love. So if we go to describe love, of course, we're going to end up talking about God. So that's what we're going to talk about today is we're going to really talk about God, you know. And uh, and when we go to talk about love, there's no other way to go than to talk about him. And so when we talk about love and we talk about God, you look through the pages of Scripture and you say, where is where is God's love most profoundly seen? We all know where it's most profoundly seen. If you turn to John chapter 13 and begin to read, and you start reading all the way through the end of John, what you will find is, is there's this moment where Jesus is sitting in an upper room around a table with all of his fellow guys there, you know, the 12. And he's sitting there at the table. And what we're told is, in this moment, Jesus knew that all authority under heaven had been given to him. Therefore, He got up. It says all authority had been given him, and he now showed the full extent of his love. Therefore, he got up, and he took off his outer garment, and he stooped down, and he washed their feet. This is the most profound, pungent example of love. It begins right here in John chapter 13 as Jesus starts the process. As he's around the table, they were having a good time and everything was still the tradition of the old feast and all of that. But here in this moment, he begins to move toward a new covenant, a covenant of love. And it says, when all the authority had been given to him, he now expressed the fullness of his love and he starts the whole process by washing their feet. And from there, he begins a journey that will ultimately end in resurrection direction, the culmination of it all. And in the middle of it, the epicenter of that story, that passion story, of course, will be a cross where he gives himself on our behalf. And that's the picture of love in the scripture. Now, John, who watched that whole thing happen, who received the foot washing, who describes it all in profound form, and we can't go through John chapter 13 to the end of the book today, you know, uh, but what we do do is we look back with John. Years, years later, he writes the letter of 1 John to people who were generations now removed from the act of Christ young people in the faith who were trying to remember what the faith was all about. And so he, he, he begins to remind them, hey, 
This is what it's actually all about. I walked with Jesus. I'm the only one still standing. The rest of them had most likely all been martyred at this point. And John is trying to hold the line of the Christian faith and remind them what it's all about. And so reflecting on everything that Christ had done, he writes the book of 1 John. And if you know anything about the book of 1 John, you find that it's entirely, almost entirely, about this idea of the Christian revealing love. And so today, our text, for the, for the remainder of our time, is going to be this text in 1 John that tells us so much about his love, and we can only take a little tiny bite of it today, but that's what we're going to do. So we're 1 John chapter 4, 7 to 21, and I am going to ask you to stand with me, please, in honor of God's word. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from and everyone who loves has been born of and knows whoever does not love does not know because is love this is how showed his love among us he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him this is love not that we loved but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen, but if we love one another, lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of lives in Him and He in... And so we know and rely on the love has for us. Is love. Whoever lives in love lives in and in Him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world, we are like him. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves must also love his brother. Amen. God, add blessing to the reading of this word. You can have a seat. Please join me in prayer. God, we thank you for this absolutely spectacular, spectacular text. What a beautiful gift from the grandfather of the faith at the time who speaks to a generation who desperately needs to remember what the faith is all about. And he brings us back and centers us on you and centers us on your love, shows us your character, and then tells us to stare at it. And here in these moments, God, we just want to stop and stare at you for a minute and appreciate. We know that this is the core of our faith, that this is what it's all about is this little four-letter word. 
the only single word we have that seems to be able to describe you in one fell swoop. It encompasses all these other words that the pages of Scripture, they flow on and on and on. But somehow, the cliff notes come in a four-letter word. And here in this text, it describes it beautifully. And we just ask Jesus that today you would help us to process it and to receive it. Not that we can fully comprehend it with our minds, but that we can know it, receive it, understand you, perhaps, but experience you more fully and believe you to the point that it changes us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's the thing about this text. It tells us that where does love come from? Love comes from God. Does some love come from God or does all love come from God? It's funny because it says, this is love, not that we have loved him. Isn't that amazing? So it's saying that us loving him, no, 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 that's not love. It's anything that comes from us isn't love. It's only that which comes from God that could possibly be love. How hard is it to love? Have you ever thought for a minute, I'm going to take the day and I'm not going to think about anyone I'm going to think about anyone except me. I'm not going to think about myself all day long. I'm only going to think about God or others all day long. Have you ever tried to do that for like 15 minutes? You know? Let alone all day. It's absolutely, completely, totally, utterly impossible for a human to be the source of love. There is no possible way that humans can be the source of love. Why do I know that? Not only because I'm one and you're one and because all of history we've never seen humans be the wellspring of love, but also because the text tells us this is not love. It is not love that we have loved God. What is love is that he has loved us and given himself for us. That is love. All love is from God. He's the wellspring of all love. There is no love apart from God. You know what that says? You know what that means? It means that every ounce of love that I need, I will never find from anyone other than God. You can take it to the bank. You can seal it. You can put all your bets on that one because it's the truth that the scriptures are based on is this truth right here that no love that we need can be found anywhere in this world. It can only be found from God. And we are deceived constantly looking and yearning and begging and pleading and desiring love. The great yearning of humanity is to be loved, to be known, to be respected, to be appreciated, to know love. And the only place that it's found is in God and we look for it everywhere else except in the wellspring of it from the source, from the spring of life, the spring of love, which is God. And it's the only place to find it. Where does the message go from there? You know, where does it go from there? What do you do? The other thing that we learn when we realize that all love comes from God is we realize that when we go to fulfill our purpose in life, which is, of course, to love and to reveal the character of God, that we have no capacity to actually fulfill what it is that we were called to do. I have no strength within me to love. I have no capacity for it. Honestly, I just can't do it. 
every year that I get older, the more I realize how utterly incapable of love I am. It's impossible. It's completely and totally impossible for me to be a source of love. I can't do it. I absolutely cannot do it. And as much as I can't receive the love that I need from anyone other than God, in the same way, I cannot give the love to anyone that they need. It must be the work of God. It has to be the work of God. There's no other way for it to work. Which, of course, is why it's the identifier of the people of God. Because those who have faith can express it in love. See, the new covenant says this. It says in Galatians 5, chapter 6, circumcision and not circumcision, whether or not we're doing things right or not, it means nothing. The only thing that counts is faith. That is God dependence. Faith expressing itself in love. Because the only way that that love can actually come out is if God's doing it. That means I have to be dependent on him. So here's the deal. If I want to be a child of God and I want to reveal the character of God, if I go and I make efforts to improve myself as a loving person, where is my focus? If I want to improve myself in my love, where's my focus? Well, it's on me if I'm trying to improve myself, isn't it? That's like going to the gym and trying to improve myself or hitting the books and trying to improve my mind or doing whatever it is I do where I, I, I make effort toward trying to self-improve. And if I make effort toward self-improvement, my focus is right here on me. Where's the focus of love? It's not on me, is it? The focus of love is out. The focus of love is not here. The focus of love is out here. But if I try to self-improve myself in love, then what I'm doing is focusing here, trying to become more loving. My focus isn't actually on the person with the need or what it is that God desires. Instead, it's on trying to improve my own image of myself. And I'm focused here and I'm stuck here. And to the extent that I can feel like I'm being more loving, yay, I'm successful. But it's not actually about what this person needs or about what God wants. See, in order to truly be loving, I have to somehow get past me. (laughs) It takes me getting past me in order to be love. And the problem is, is that I can't get past me. And I don't think you can either. I'm just guessing, you know. But I don't think any of us can get past us on our own. We actually need the help of God. And of course, this is where the cross comes in. But God does this amazing, amazing work in us, you know, where he says, Where's your vacancy? Where's the void? Where's the where's that God-shaped hole inside of you? What is the thing that hurts? What's the aching that we're trying to fill? Do we feel disrespected? Do we feel a lack of security? Are we afraid that God that we won't have provision, that we'll never have enough resources? What is it that causes us to focus inward? What is it that we're afraid of? Are we afraid of not being appreciated enough, of not being validated? Are we afraid that we don't look as nice as the person next to us or that we haven't achieved as much as them? Are we afraid that we won't make our impact on life or that when we're gone, no one will care? What is it that we are afraid of? What is the core wound inside of us that speaks to us and makes all of our desire look inward and say, how do I take care of this? Because I'm afraid because of this hole. And then God speaks to our fear. And he comforts us in all of our sorrow so that we can comfort others, is what Corinthians says. 
and says he clothes us in robes of righteousness. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He washes us with the water of the word and presents us to himself holy and blameless without spot or wrinkle or blemish so that when we look through the eyes of God, we see something entirely different. He says he knows the hairs on our head and he will always provide for us. He will sustain us. He tells us that he grants gifts among men according to the grace given to each of us. And each one of us has purpose and meaning in life. He's a father who provides absolutely everything, everything that we could ever need. And our job is singular, to believe, to trust him. Faith expresses itself in love. See, I need to be full. Because if I am not full, then I will be ravenous hungry. And when I am hungry, I will not think about what you need. I will let my God be my stomach. That's what Philippians said. There are some whose citizenship is on this earth. Their God is their stomach and their glory is their shame. Because there's still still an emptiness inside. And we crave Crave love, crave security, crave respect, crave purpose, crave meaning, crave identity. And when we crave it, we can't focus anywhere else. And so we need to receive the fullness of the fact that his spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of the living God. And the more we know and believe the love of God, the more we are full. And we can say, okay, enough about me. I trust you. You got me. You love me. I'm a child of God. And every time that I have that hunger in my spirit, that hunger in my belly, I don't have to worry about whether I'm losing my job so much. I don't have to worry about whether this person likes me so much. I don't have to worry about any of it because God will provide. God will give me everything I need. And, and that's, that's faith. But here's the other thing about faith that we need. And this is the other side of this, okay? And it's this. Not only do I need God to fill me because I can't receive the love that I need from anyone other than God, but I also need God to empower me. And this is the way this works. You know, if someone really cares for another person, if their heart is inclined toward them, if they're full of love because of the love of God, and now they really care about another individual, chances are they're going to do the right thing by that person. Right? They're going to do something nice for them because their heart's in the right place because they're not just self-focused. They've been filled up with God. Now my heart can be toward my wife and I can care about what's good for her if my heart's inclined toward her. And so we want our hearts to be filled up with God so we can be in the right spot. However, if we want our hearts to stay in the right spot, how do they stay in the right spot? Well, we have to continue to practice love. This is why Galatians says we've been given freedom and we've been set free. But don't use that freedom to indulge in the flesh. Because if we indulge in the flesh, then we will grow our appetites back toward ourselves. Instead, we have to practice self-sacrifice and love. You know, someone can talk about politics all day long. And they can talk about, you know, I think things should be this way or things should be that way. And if the day of election comes and they don't vote and they don't pray, then what was all that talk about? You know, we can talk about social justice all day long and talk about the way the world should be. But if we don't get out there and serve, then who cares what we know and what we're talking about, right? 
At the end of the day, we can talk about love and we can talk about God and we can experience and talk about receiving all of the love of God and everything we need. But somewhere along the line, our life, the rubber has to hit the road and we have to say, I'm going to get beyond me. And even though I can't get my heart fully right, I'm going to trust God that if I take my calendar and I take my money and I take my resources and I take my talents and I decide I'm going to do things that are beyond me and my family and my life. I'm going to step out and I'm going to do something beyond me and serve another. What I'm doing is a step of faith because I'm believing this is the way of God. And even though it might not be pure in all of its motives, if I'm going to maintain a level of love and allow the Holy Spirit to continue to flow through me, then I got to practice this thing. There's got to be an outlet for love to actually work. For about six months, when we were, you know, we do devotions with the boys. And as we were reading through the scriptures, it seemed like every time we read through the scriptures, there was something about the poor and about taking care of those who were less fortunate. And the boys kept asking and saying, how do we do that? And every time they said it, I'm like, oh, man, how do we do that? You know, and we, we would talk about the fact that we sponsor uh, kids, a kid from Compassion, and we sponsor another kid through Restavik, and we pray for these guys. We, we pray for Bethuel from Restavik, who's in Haiti, who's uh, uh, been brought out of a human trafficking situation, and, and we pray for Bethuel, and we, and we pray for Elias Nalasco Bautista in, in Honduras, who we have a picture of on our fridge, and we pray for them, and we, we sponsor, but we're disconnected. You know, and we prayed for about six months with the boys. I was praying, how do I help my boys be able to serve beyond themselves and to figure out how to love? I mean, the most important place to love is in the family, in the church. Is to, We're told to love everyone, but most of all, the body of believers. You know, the closer to home, the more important to love. I'm supposed to love my wife more than anyone else in this world. But somehow we actually have to do things that get us we, we have to practice beyond. You know how if you're going to play a game, it's great to practice the game, but you also have to get in shape and you have to get your fingers working right or get, you know, you have to get your skill set up in order to, to do what you got to do. If you're going to think well in your job, you have to get education first. You know, most of the time it's not just on the job training. And if my kids are going to learn how to love each other and love their parents and love everyone else, they also have to have experiences that are beyond themselves where there's an aberration from the norm and they step out and serve. They do something radical. They, they go and wash the, the feet of the people at the table, you know? And so we prayed for about six months. How do we do this? And one day I was with a pastor's group um, and uh, I, was, I, I was just talking to the guys and, um, and, and when we left, one of the guys shot an email to me and he said, hey, um, over at, over at uh, Cutillo's, and I've told you about this uh, place at Cutillo's, you know, the restaurant in Pottstown, he said, we started serving a meal over there um, to, to people who are in poverty or who are homeless, and we bust people in, and they come down to the lower level of Cutillo's, and then we serve them a meal, and then we sing, and, and we have uh, like a devotional time together and that type of thing. Any of, the, any of you who want to come and bring your family, feel free. The kids kind of hand out the drinks and, you know, kind of take orders and that type of thing. And, it was, and, and we had just been praying the night before, so I said, Finally, our answer to prayer, you know, because most of the things that that uh, were available for us were either in a time frame that we couldn't do or it didn't work with the kids. And so we went. And I'll tell you what. So every Monday before we go to Cutillo's in the morning and every Monday night after the boys sit down and they start to pray. And, you know, it's transformed their prayer life. One of the things that's amazing is the other day. 
completely out of the blue, one of my boys said, started praying that we would get the resources we need at Parker Ford to build the building that, um, that, that, you know, for the building project. And as I started probing a little bit more, they were like, because if we build that building, then people's lives can be changed. That's what he's saying, you know? And I was like, well, buildings don't change people's lives. But he got the picture of why are we doing what we're doing? And I really see that transformational process happening because it's not because there's some heroic act that Cutillo's people got a meal, people's lives aren't changed, but my son's lives are changed because they learn to be a part of something that's bigger than themselves. And something switches inside of us when the Spirit of God is able to flow through us. And we begin to realize he wasn't joking when he said he had a purpose for my life. He wasn't joking when he said that I could be a hand or a foot in the body of Christ. He wasn't joking when he said he would provide for my every need. And he really, really wasn't joking when he said it's better to give than it is to receive. And the only way I figured out is when I actually trust him and I take him at his word and I say, I'm just going to go ahead and believe that you're going to provide everything I need and I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to do something loving that's beyond me and I don't know if I have all the right motives or whatever, but it doesn't even matter. I'm just going to trust you on this one and I'm going to say, is my life mostly about me or is it mostly about serving others at this point? And I need it to be about others. So I'm going to just ask you, what do you want me to do? I'm going to look around and I'm going to find something and I'm going to start doing something and then I'm going to let you guide me from there. But it's not going to be about me anymore. It's about you because it's no fun when it's about us, is it? It's just no fun. We get grumpy. We get selfish. We get materialistic. We get too concerned about when our next meal is or when our next whatever is or what the next thing we buy is. And we get all hung up on that and we never get happy. But once we get outside of ourselves and we move in the kingdom of God, there's joy and there's peace and there's patience and there's kindness and there's goodness and there's faithfulness and gentleness and self-control and all these great things happen. Why? Because he told us to love and he told us that he loved us and he told us that he would be with us. But if we want to continue to experience it, then we got to let the rubber hit the road by having faith in him and saying, okay, let's do it your way instead of my way. I'm going to trust you and believe that when I do, faith is going to express itself in love and I'm going to know you more because no one has ever seen God. But when we love one another, the love of God is made manifest through the love that brings. Amen? Let's pray.